Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Christine Chapel on walking with God through the trial of depression in motherhood. God is not surprised when we reach the end of ourselves and we're wrestling with pain and confusion and doubt and despair and hopelessness. Um, and time and time again, He meets us in merciful, unique, uh, individual ways uh, that we need most in that particular moment of distress. Christine Chapel, next. Sharing her own experience with depression and the anguished cries of God's people throughout Scripture, Christine Chapel reveals Christ's compassion for the hurting in her new book, Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression in Motherhood. Christine is a certified biblical counselor and host of the Hope and Help podcast. Christine, what led you to write Midnight Mercies? Yeah, well, I am so thankful to have had the opportunity to really steward part of my story, which includes walking through depression and motherhood, uh, for this particular resource. And I think one of the motivations for wanting to do that was just really to live into the Second Corinthians 1 call that Paul outlines with, you know, the encouragement that we are to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received in the midst of our affliction. And so I've always felt a strong urge to do that. Uh, so much of my story, even before coming to know Christ, it has to do with issues like depression, self-harm, suicidal thinking, panic attacks, just really a whole bunch of very difficult uh, uh, problems. And so um, being able to to reflect on some of my story and to highlight how God comforted me, had met me um, in the midst of those challenges, particularly in motherhood, was something that I just was uh, passionate about and, and very thankful to have the opportunity to do. And as I understand it from your book, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, that you're one of your first experiences, uh, serious experiences with depression was as a mother and as a fairly new Christian. Actually, my first significant experiences with depression happened as a teenager mm. before I even came to know Christ. Oh. And so I kind of have that perspective of of two different seasons of life, you know. So the first time that I was hospitalized in a, me in a mental hospital for self-harm and depression was as a 17-year-old, you know, so I was a teenager. I was I did not know the Lord, so didn't have any, you know, Bible background or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but then after I came to know the Lord in my adulthood, in my young motherhood, you know, I was hospitalized again for suicidal ideations and, and um, self-harm, you know, and that time I was going through that experience as as a believer, as a mother, and they contrast, you know, the differences of how I went through those situations and um, were definitely different, but it was also something that really took me off guard because I guess maybe I just thought that as I came to know the Lord and, and experienced the joy of salvation a couple weeks after my dad had died from cancer, I met my heavenly father after I lost my earthly one. Mm. And I, I guess I just kind of thought that I could use the scriptures and use my faith to to make myself impervious to sorrow, impervious to struggle or weakness. And that's not how the gospel works. That's not how sanctification works. And so um, there was just a lot of confusion and pain during that season of motherhood I write about in Midnight Mercies that just kind of all came to a head 
after a cross-country move and a, a bunch of other things that were going on. And um, and so, yeah, Midnight Mercies kind of follows along during a week I spent in the mental hospital trying to process that darkness and, and the doubt and confusion that resulted. And it may be unnecessary to do this, but just so we're kind of all on the same page, how do you define depression? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on what your worldview is. I guess there's a lot of people are, when they talk about depression, they're talking about it perhaps from a bunch of different angles. You know, some people will consider depression to be solely a, a spiritual issue. Others might consider it to be solely a physical or medical issue. I personally choose to define depression as something that we experience in response to living life in a fallen world and fallen bodies with fallen and disordered relationships. You know, this is this is an experience that we go through. And I think I like to do that because I don't know who's at the end of, you know, I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know who's reading my book. And so it's not wise to put the experiences of people into boxes I've found uh, because you just, the People's experiences are so different and complex, and their stories are complex, and the relationships that they're in are all different. And so I think to really broaden our understanding is helpful mm-hmm. um, so that we don't put people into boxes um, and and uh, oversimplify what it is that they're going through, which I think is one of the dangers when it comes to talking about depression. Is it, at least from your perspective, you are a certified biblical counselor, so you're you're aimed at, uh, at helping people personally as well as well as through your writing. Is this something that is uh, a, a growing issue? I mean, I, I can't help but to think of COVID and the isolation and mm-hmm. all of that that you, you often hear of, uh, of people that uh, struggle with this. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing a lot of news reports that would suggest that at least our awareness of people experiencing depression is growing, um, you know, and we have particular temptations and and uh, things in, in this culture, you know, with social media exposure, all of the access that we have to information and, and uh, the isolation, like you said, that kind of spins off of COVID and just even a, a isolation or a kind of individualistic spirit that can be developed and fostered in, in our own American culture, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I think it's helpful though, even if we say that perhaps this problem is becoming more prevalent or we're growing in our awareness of it, it's important to recognize that the problem in and of itself is not new, right? So when someone is experiencing depression, they're not experiencing something that's foreign to the scriptures or that is new under the sun, right? We know that Ecclesiastes talks about the fact that there are no new things under the sun, depression included. And so I think that's helpful to remember and root ourselves in the scriptures when we talk about this, because we don't want to, uh, you know, come at an angle of, oh, this new problem, this new epidemic of depression is striking and and God's word doesn't have anything to say about it, you know, and now now we're spinning our wheels trying to find remedies, uh, you know, for for things that the scriptures so honestly and clearly talk about. Well, tell us where you find it in the scripture. It's really probably surprising to see. Now, I'm not going to the scriptures with my 21st century terminology and saying this person has depression, this person has depression, this person has depression, right? I'm not I'm not doing that. But I think that when we 
stop long enough to understand that the experience of depression is, I like to think of that word or that term kind of as an umbrella word, which houses so many different emotional facets. And one of the goals in Midnight Mercies is to help women in particular, mothers in particular, to build their emotional language so that they can pinpoint the different emotions that may be underwriting their experience of depression. So when I say that, I'm talking about Things like hopelessness, weariness, sadness, anger, uh, anxiety, shame, and loneliness. And I'm not saying those are the only emotions in depression, but they're very common ones. And when we take a look at the scriptures, we can find God's people, all from the Old Testament throughout to the New Testament, who are wrestling with those very same emotions, those very same feelings of hopelessness or despair. You know, we see it all throughout the Psalms. I'm looking, I have my Bible here open. I'm looking at Psalm 77 uh, in particular, where the psalmist says that he is so troubled that he cannot speak. When he remembers God, he moans. He feels like the Lord has spurned him and that his promises have come to an end. God has forgotten to be gracious to me. Uh, you know, so there's there's so much language, but we can even look to people like Moses, who in Numbers 11 expressed a desire to die because he was so overwhelmed by his burden. And he thought that it was unfair of God to ask him to do what he was being asked to do. I mean, we can go to scriptures like Elijah, who was so weary uh, and tired, but also um, had felt like he had failed at his calling. And so he just didn't want to go on anymore. I mean, I can go on and on and on uh, in this conversation, but just for the purposes of brevity, I'll say that I write about all these different narratives in the scriptures um, in Midnight Mercies, and we see time and time again that God is not surprised when we reach the end of ourselves and we're wrestling with pain and confusion and doubt and despair and hopelessness. Um, and time and time again, He meets us in merciful, unique, uh, individual ways uh, that we need most in that particular moment of distress. Well, my guest today on His People is Christine Chapel. She is author of the book Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression in Motherhood, and she's a certified biblical counselor. Well, Christine, tell us about the title, Midnight Mercies. That title actually finds its roots in Isaiah 42, 16, and I'll rehearse that just uh, briefly for your listeners. Uh, the, the Lord is speaking, and He says, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, on paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. And so that is the Lord speaking. And so that's where I got the term midnight mercies, you know, the reality that in the dark night of motherhood, whatever darkness you're going through, but the book is specific for motherhood. So in those dark hours, where you feel like, you know, the clouds have come over your life and there you can't figure out how to turn the lights back on again. And where is the sun? It's never going to shine. You just have this doom and gloom mm -hmm. experience that you're walking through. God is merciful to meet us. And the challenge in depression is that his mercy is going to look different than what we expect. Because for from our perspective, if God was merciful, he would deliver me from this darkness right now. Right. And that's something that we have to wrestle with as sufferers is why is God, why is it, why am I still here in this pit? 
I've cried to him for help, and I'm still here. I've asked him to change my heart, and I'm still struggling. I've asked him to deliver me from the darkness, and I'm still waiting for him to come to my rescue. There's so many questions that we have as sufferers who are, are waiting on the Lord. Um, and so Midnight Mercies, you know, hopes to encourage people uh, to look for mercy in different ways uh, and all, and to interpret God's dealings with us and his disposition toward us according to the scriptures, not according to our perceived felt reality. Um, and that ultimately at the end of the book and um, and in the scriptures, we find that God is merciful to his people who are afflicted. He's not indifferent. He's not harsh or hasty. He's not cruel or misunderstanding, but he is a God who comes close to the brokenhearted and saves the Christian spirit. And you say that sometimes the, his mercy may be not what we expect, may be different than what we're looking for. We we want immediate uh, relief. What would be the encouragement of the hope at this point? And I know we're going to continue to talk about it throughout, but uh, sort of to give us a little uh, glimpse into where we're going. What's helpful is to know that that will look different for everyone, as we see in the scriptures, that, that, that the mercy that God gives to individuals as they are in their unique stories looks different. The, the help that God gave to Moses didn't look the same as what he gave to Elijah. You know, the uh, the comfort that Jesus gave to Mary and Martha, who had just lost their brother, did not look like the same counsel that he gave to Job as Job was wrestling through his grief. You know, uh, so I think the hope, among other things, is found in the fact that God made us, that he cares for us for us as individuals, that he knows what we need to sustain us, and that his care is specific. It is individual. It's personal. Um, and it's always timed at the, the the right time, even though it may not feel like it for us because we want relief. But sometimes, um, you know, the mercy that we need most is, is just a small step forward that he puts right in front of us, something that is within our power to take and to do um, for his glory. Um, Christine, your book is Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression and Motherhood. And so it, it raises the question, is there something about being a mother that can especially lend itself to depression? It's maybe something that we might be tempted to forget is that mothers in particular are caregivers. You know, so for us as moms who are pouring into the lives of our children, or you know, serving in the different roles and responsibilities that we have, and and many of us have a number of different roles and responsibilities we play into. But you know, sometimes it can feel as though we are so constantly pouring ourselves out for the sake of others that we don't have someone pouring in to us for our sake to, to sustain and persevere. Now, obviously, of course, the Lord himself through his spirit and word perseveres and strengthens us. But at the same time, there's no Christian mom who's meant to be an island. You know, she needs these the body of Christ and, and the sustaining grace that God has through community to sustain and pour into her as well. And I think another thing, too, is to remember that inside the home, inside a mother's home, under her roof, you know, we have no idea what's going on, mm -hmm. you know, and, and mothers, you know, may feel shame or fear or uh, or just unable to be vulnerable and to open up and to share how bad things really are, how scary things really are in their relationships. They may feel like they have nowhere to turn to. Or worst of all, Bill, they may have turned to someone before for help 
and they were mishandled or mistreated. And now they feel like nobody is safe to talk to. And I think that we can forget that sometimes as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying a mother's challenges are particularly more than any other kind of roles or responsibilities. Uh, but I think we as Christians might just think that motherhood comes naturally to us all and it should just be easy and no big deal. And you should be able to handle everything that comes your way. But that's just not has not been my experience. <laughs> and um, and I don't think that's what the scripture teaches either. Maybe you've mentioned it kind of implicitly, Christine, but uh, the, what is the role of prayer? And sometimes, of course, with a mother with, with young children, sometimes it's very difficult to uh, maybe even to find time for something like that. You know, Bill, what I have learned is just to constantly be talking to the Lord in conversation. It does not look formal. I mean, in the morning time after my reading, and then my kids are older now, so I have that opportunity to have an hour of quiet from five to six o'clock in the morning where I can be perhaps more formal in my in my prayer, uh, but it doesn't have to look that way. I mean, if we really think about the fact that we are in relationship with the living God, you know, as women, you know, Jesus, the Lord, the Bible talks about him as our husband, right? I mean, we're in a loving, intimate relationship with someone. We just pour out our heart right where we are. No fancy words. Sometimes our tears are the petitions that we have to offer in the midst of our meltdown moments. And God hears all that, you know? And and I think, too, what's important for moms to remember who feel like they may be struggling in their prayer life is that you don't have to fake your way through the day that God will listen and hear. He invites you to pour out your heart in genuine, honest, authentic ways. And that doesn't mean shake a fist and, you know, curse God or anything like that, but it does mean to come to Him um, in not a, a fake kind of way or an overproduced kind of way, but just as you would talk to your husband or to a friend. Um, it, Jesus, right, is our friend that we can talk to and be open with. Um, but then also one last thing I'll say about prayer in depression is that lament, I think, is something that I talk about in Midnight Mercies. There's an appendix there that teaches moms how to pray prayers of lament. And I think that that is also something that is a key spiritual skill to develop. Because like I said, if we are not accustomed to voicing our complaint and expressing grief in a way that serves to deepen our faith, uh, then we may feel, feel like we have to suppress or avoid or numb the very difficult thoughts and emotions that we are experiencing. What does that look like, Christine? Uh, lament. Um, mm -hmm. can, you, can you give us uh, an example? Yeah. Yeah, well, I actually was so greatly helped by Mark Vogup's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and based off of his model that he offers in that book, I came up with an acronym that is a slight shift off of the four major parts or components of lament that he offers in that book. And so the acronym that I share in Midnight Mercies is EVAC, short for EVAC. Right. And that is short for evacuate, because when we are in trouble, we want to evacuate to the Lord. We want to run to the Lord who is our refuge and lament can help us to do that. So EVAC stands E stands for engage God. B stands for voice our complaint. A stands for ask for his help. And then C stands for choose or commit to trust him. So we see that there's this pathway of prayer that, as I said, leads us not to become more disillusioned in our faith, but can actually serve to mature and deepen our faith as we come to God, voice our complaint, 
ask for help according to his promises, right? Because he's going to help us according to how he says he's going to help us, not according to how we think he should help us, Um, but then choose to entrust ourselves to the everlasting arms that are holding us and carrying us through. Mm. Well, the book is Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression in Motherhood. My guest is the author, Christine Chapel. And Christine, as you talk quite a bit about the scripture, and I do want to ask you uh, in a minute about someone else in the scripture, but looking at church history, even up to the present, but in history, I mean, there there are some well-known Christians that have been very open that this has been one of their afflictions. Yeah, I mean, the most encouraging one to me, which our, your listeners may be familiar with, is Charles Spurgeon, of course. And I cannot tell you how deeply his writing ministered to me as I was navigating this particular season of depression. I write about him in Night Mercies. I mean, it is so valuable to hear from a believer in Christ articulate the experience of this kind of darkness that is so disorienting, it leaves you questioning, am I even saved at all? Because as Spurgeon would talk about, you know, there were times in his life where he couldn't even look or touch his Bible. And I remember feeling that way too, looking at my, and I'm a woman who loves the word. Yeah, I am in that word all the time. But for this season, I felt like this strange sense that God's word was giving me a cold shoulder, that somehow it had turned dead which was so strange because, Bill, I knew that wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. So, if, how, but, how, but I couldn't reconcile, right? I couldn't reconcile my felt reality with, with, with what God's word and promises say, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's always there, that the word is alive and active. And so uh, to hear that great men like Spurgeon would, would struggle in similar ways, and yet God persevered them to do what he had called them to do was such an encouragement. But even, like I said, going back way past Spurgeon into the scriptures, we see we see the the testimonies of the great cloud of witnesses include believers, men and women alike, who really suffered under the weight of their sorrows. And, and we have, according to the scriptures, the account uh, that was written in, you know, what was written in the past was written for our encouragement and instruction that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, we would have hope. And so we can even look as far back as the history of God's own people and see God's faithful mercies in the midst of their distress. One thing I haven't asked you about yet, as we are now entering into what's known as the holiday season, so often uh, depression is something that uh, is sort of seasonal for some people. And uh, so this may be especially relevant for, for many in this particular season. No, I think my encouragement to someone who struggles to, you know, go through depression that is specific to the winter time or, or holiday time, mm-hmm. I'll I'll say what some what a counselor once said to me that I found so very helpful. So I'm just passing this along to your listeners. But there was one time when I was really feeling helpless and and stuck in the darkness, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, I'm I know you're feeling like this right now." but has God ever left you feeling this way? And so for the person who is struggling through a seasonal kind of depression, that would be my encouragement is, is God hasn't, has God ever left you in this darkness? You know, I think that, uh, we need that encouragement to look back on God's past faithfulness mm-hmm. to inform our future steps that we take. And so if that is where you are finding yourself right now, um, then my encouragement is to remember his past faithfulness and to wait on the Lord 
to watch for him, you know, uh, to to come and meet you in his steadfast love, because ultimately that's what he did for me at the end of Midnight Mercies. I share about a time where he met me in the mental hospital um, and taught me uh, that what he had been asking me to do all along was to wait and to watch for him to work, not to work myself out of depression or figure out how to fix myself, figure out how to stop it from coming back over and over again, but to wait and to watch for him and his steadfast love to meet me. And it came, obviously. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I did want to ask you about, and you raise her, Naomi, uh, in, in, in the book of Ruth, her life story. What does that say specifically to the mother suffering from depression, the encouragement that, that her life brings? There's so much that you could say in the story of Naomi, and I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but I think what we can see just generally if we zoom out on the story is we see, because, you know, here's the thing, and out of all the narratives that I share in the book, Naomi's is the only narrative where we do not observe God coming in himself. He does not manifest himself to Naomi in a special way, as he does with Moses, Elijah, Martha, and Mary, Gideon, the bleeding woman. But So he's operating in secret. He's operating from the heavens, but he's using people. He's using providence. He's using means of grace to sustain Naomi in her season and through her season of grief and into healing. You know, she lost all of her family, but ultimately at the end, we see that God had worked and weaved her story in such a way as to restore her, to give her a son that she could set her hope on through Ruth and through Boaz. And um, and through Jesus Christ, God also has given you, mom, who feels like she's stuck in a wilderness season or you've lost everything like Naomi has, God has given you a son that you can set your hope on, just like he did with Naomi, right? And that son is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we can look to Jesus in our downcast moments and know that as we see him hanging there on the cross, his mercy is for us, because you're not going to find mercy in the midst of depression by looking anywhere else, not your feelings, not your circumstance, but you look to the cross, you see Jesus at the apex of his misery and you will find that he put himself up there so that in the midst of your misery, you could have hope that darkness doesn't win, depression cannot pluck you from his hand, and that he will sustain you and carry you on uh, until uh, until the dawn. Christine, uh, as you mentioned uh, right at the top of, the, of our conversation, that depression is part of living in a fallen world and a fallen body and and so on and and I'm wondering to look at it from a slightly different vantage point as well the scripture talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 that we we wrestle not against flesh and blood and so forth is it also a part of that spiritual warfare that spiritual conflict that every believer is engaged in Absolutely. And I, I love that you brought that up because I think it's something that we are so prone to neglect because um, especially in depression, we're very much can be very much turned inward on ourselves. Or if we're turned in on, on ourselves, then we're also feeling very disconnected from God usually. And so it's kind of like what we're dealing with and what we can see is all that we are, are worried about and occupied with. But we have to understand too that we have a very real enemy who loves to 
wreak havoc. Mm. I mean, even in the story of Job, we see that it wasn't that God's hand was against Job. It was that God had given Job over to Satan's hand, and Satan was the one wreaking the havoc. And God knew, of course, he was going to sustain Job and that he was going to restore Job. But for a while, the Lord set limits on Satan's activity, and he was allowed to cause a a bunch of grief and, and to afflict Job in all kinds of ways. And so, I think that we need to remember that that is a very real uh, thing that we are experiencing in the midst of not only the the physical challenges and burdens that we have of being in a broken body, um, the social uh, dif- difficulties we have in, that come from being in relationships that are full of oftentimes conflict and anger and division and strife, um, and, and then also the reality that God is weaving a story so much bigger than what we can even understand or realize. And so, but all of that, the spiritual warfare, the relational conflict, the body distress, all of that is in God's sovereign control, and He has a plan. None of it has taken Him by surprise, and He will be faithful to work all of these difficult situations together so that at the end of time, right, when we see the work that He has done, we can see that He was not letting evil uh, win, that he was redeeming us all along the way and making us into something so much more beautiful than uh, we could have ever expected. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, certified biblical counselor, Christine Chapel, author of Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression in Motherhood. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Hunter Belis on famous missionary to India, Amy Carmichael. She laid in her bed in India, probably wondering, why God, why I have all of these children to care for, all of this work to be done, and yet here I am in my bed. But guess where she penned many of the books that we love to read? It was while she was bedridden in India. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.